Welcome to Team Perry's Step Out of Line podcast, featuring co-hosts Perry and Lori Finkelstein. Together, they explore, meet, and share inspirational stories with guests who have made a positive impact in today's world. This podcast resonates with our hope to make this world a better place one step at a time through love, acceptance, and uplifting conversations. It may be harsh at times, but it is the truth. And you may not like to hear it. You may not like me, but you'll respect me. But what struck me is no matter how superstitious and quirks that you might have had playing ball and on the field, it seems that you always followed the rules. You told somebody, um, a manager had asked you not to do one thing on the, getting onto the field, whatever it was, whatever superstitious thing that you had. And he said, look, you know, can you not do that for, you know, and you were like, sure, you know, my manager's asking me not to do this and I'm going to, I'm going to stop and, and, you know, we'll do something else or whatever, but you seem to be very rule abiding and you really valued that in baseball. And I, that speaks of your character. Can you tell me, were you, how were you brought up? Did you have a strict upbringing that you knew that you had to behave a certain way and that you had to respect people who, you know, were your elders or your supervisors? I mean, that's really like a great thing to have as a, as a kid turning into an adult. Well, and, and having my own children too, I've a daughter, son and a daughter today, um, I kind of carried that on with them. It's just as you treat people how you want to be treated and you work hard every day and you don't make excuses and sometimes uh like i said i carried it right through with, with raising my children who are 22 and 20 now that uh that a lot of times they would say oh that's you know that that sucks or that that's not fair and i would say hey, life's not fair so you need to deal with it right or they would say they didn't like their coach or their teacher maybe or something like that and I said, you're going to deal with people all the time. Unless you're your own boss making your own decisions and your own rules, you're always going to deal with people that you don't agree with all the time in, in life. Whether it's your boss or a colleague that you work with, um, there's always going to be somebody that you may butt heads with and not doing things the way you want them done. So you have to respect them if they're above you uh, as far as the, the pay grade or your boss goes. And you, like I said, like you were talking about earlier with the, my coach asked me to do something and he's my manager and that's what I got to do. He's, he's the, he's in charge and uh, you, you know, I want to play, so I'm not going to do anything to upset my manager. So how did you feel with Cespedes the other day? Apparently the players, when they feel like it's not safe for them and they don't want to play in this COVID environment, they can just get up and say, you know, I'm sorry, I can't play. But he left in kind of a weird way where he just didn't give what appeared to be any notice. What yeah, I, I don't, how did you feel? I don't know the situation, but I know uh, I would be very disappointed as a teammate that this guy just basically took his toys and went home. Um, there's been speculation about him not uh, happy with what, playing time or uh, he's not playing very well. So he's just going to take his toys and go home, like I said. So um, I don't know. I can't really speak to him personally, but 
I just think it's it would be very disappointing that one of my teammates who was one of the better players on the team just decided to say see you later. Yeah. And you know, you're really letting the team down. I know, I agree. Um, we were reading that, um, of course, you were an amazing Met relief pitcher, and I think you also have a soft spot in your heart for being a Met. You're always a Met. Um, and what was reading, sometimes I ask you to pitch game after game after game, and, you know, you never said, I can't pitch, I can't do, come in this game, I'm tired, I've already pitched, you know, 21 innings in a row or whatever. But you never said no. You said, this is my job. If I'm called to do it, I'm going to do it. And that is an attitude that many people don't have. And I think that's kind of awesome. And I think that probably carried out into many other facets of your life. Um, and I've heard that you had a ranch and now you are, you own a farm and you're doing that. And that's hard work. That's not easy. Would you say that baseball built that character into you? Or did you go into baseball, this is who you are, and this is the way you're going to conduct your life? Like, which came first, chicken well, or the egg? I think just my upbringing, that my my parents, and like I said, I I, I didn't come from, from anything. My folks didn't have money and stuff. So from the time I was very young, if I wanted something, I had to earn it. And I had to... If I wanted new school clothes or something like that, I I I, sh I had a whole route of throughout my neighborhood of uh, people that I I would mow their lawn, I would split their wood, I would rake their leaves, I would shovel their driveways, and then I worked at a, at a turkey farm uh, once I got into high school, and then I washed dishes. So anytime I wanted something, I had to, I had to work for it. Was baseball your dream? Growing up, baseball, with baseball was always my dream since I was three years old. Oh. And uh, I think, and, and and I didn't realize this till after I was done playing. But in the history of baseball, I think it's been 150 or 51 years. Baseball's been around now. Less than 20,000 people have ever played Major League Baseball, and that's to me is a phenomenal number. That. I think the number is somewhere like 19,600 people have actually played Major League Baseball. Most people would think it's in the hundreds of thousands. But to be one of less than 20,000 people to ever do something is, to me, is pretty crazy in the history of basically people. Um, and I laugh sometimes because I go, wow, you know, I'm one of those people. I wasn't even that good. But it took a lot of discipline and a lot of dedication and an immense amount of focus um and i think for me i just learned at an early age that baseball was going to be my life and it was no failure involved as funny as that sounds because baseball is a game of failure right I was going to do it and whatever people, a lot of times people say, what if you hurt your arm? What if you do this? And I would have say, I'll cross that bridge when the time comes, but I will not fail. I am going to be a baseball player. So not only were you an amazing pitcher, which you were, um, you also pitched in the world series 2000 against the Yankees. I grew up a Yankee fan. I'm sorry to say, uh, so <laughs> I know you have a big love for the Yankees. Very I'm sorry. <laughs> Your mom just ruined it. <laughs> but I'm a huge Mets fan now. I birthed a Mets fan, my son, and he got us totally crazy about the Mets. And now we're 100% Mets fans, if that makes you feel better. 
And uh, yeah, don't worry, she said. How was it p- pitching in the World Series? Is it a blur? Does it, do you it, it in it kinda was. It's funny that you say that. It kind of was a blur. And when I talk about it to some people, they, they laugh because I always say the only time I ever really was able to relax the whole course of the World Series was when the game started. There was so much other stuff going on. It was so crazy that once the game started, it was kind of, we were untouchable. And, uh, you know, people were pulling us in all these different directions to do this, sign this, meet these people or whatever. And when the game started, all that stuff went away and we could just focus on doing what we were there to do. That's interesting. I know we feel that, um, you know, as I told you, we do marathons, the high lifeline, and we always feel the craziness at at four in the morning, right before the marathon starts and your stomach is in jumbles and and it's just so much. And then once you, once you start, it all clears away and you're able to focus on what you have to do. So I, I get that totally. So we can't not have this interview without talking about superstitions whether you're a superstitious person or not. Well, I think I'm very it, similar it, to you. It's kind of a miss. I mean, the things I did, yes, were, were labeled as a superstition, but um, we are creatures of habit, humans, and it's more of a routine. And, of course, because of the things I did was, was off the wall. <laughs> um, it was labeled as a superstition, yet once I stopped doing those things, I was still able to play a, uh, have a major league career for the next 10 years without doing any of that stuff. Right. And then it's, it's just, it basically gets you into a comfort zone because the more comfortable you feel, the better you're going to perform at whatever it is you're doing. And, um, I've looked back and, 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 wonder how it is that only less than 20,000 people play major league baseball. And then I don't know the number, but out of those less than 20,000 people, how many people played for 10 years or more? That's a tiny number. And to do that, you have to be, like I said earlier, very focused, very disciplined. Uh, And there's immense amount of sacrifice involved. Um, so looking back, as I was saying, I think that if you were to be a fly on the wall in a major league clubhouse, the average player plays, average big leaguer that gets the big leagues plays for just two and a half seasons. And if you watch guys, like I said, being a fly on the, on the wall, if you watch guys that have been in the big leagues, and it's usually around the four-year mark that have been there at least four years, they usually all have something in common, but it's all different. They all have a routine and they tweak it here and there, depending on um, success and failure, because that's usually how you come about with your routines through success and failure. Uh, it's kind of like uh, if you eat something and you get sick, well, you're not going to eat it anymore. Right. If you do something and you have bad results, you're not going to keep doing that. If you do something and you have really good results, you're going to keep doing it. Why? Because it makes us feel good. Um, so, and that's, that's basically, I had a, a bad taste in my mouth when I was, when I first became a professional in, in rookie ball in, in 1988. 
And I had the bat boy run up and grab my toothbrush, brushed my teeth, and I went out the next inning and struck everybody out. So I thought, wow, I brushed my teeth between innings now. <laughs> of course, I didn't strike everybody out every inning after that, but it was one of those things that puts you into a comfort zone. There's guys, when they get in the batter's box, they adjust their, their batting gloves or maybe they do something with their jersey or something. And, um, you know, there, there's as simple as if you had a, 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 I don't know, say a Big Mac from McDonald's before the game one day and you go out and hit three home runs. Well, I promise you tomorrow you're going to have three Big Macs before the game. Right. It's That's just, funny. like I said, it's just the way creatures of habit. It's just what happens. So um, the thing that people don't know very few people, I guess, would know that I got to the big leagues in 1993 with the Cubs, and I was up and down. I was kind of their go-to guy when somebody was injured. I would get called up from AAA, and then when they came off the disabled list, I would go back to AAA uh, for, for two years. So in the first spring training <clears throat> practice day, first day of spring training in 1995, we have a new manager, Jim Riggleman. And he pulls me aside after the first practice, which you just mentioned. And he asked me to stop doing all that stuff. Cause he said, I want people to see your arm. Cause obviously you have an amazing arm or you wouldn't be here. I want them to talk about that. I don't want them to talk about all this other stuff. So I thought, well, geez, who's this guy? He's raining on my parade and I don't even know the guy yet. <laughs> so like I, like you said, and, and we mentioned that he's my manager and I'm going to do what makes him what he wants me to do. So anyhow, I played the next 10 years from 95 to 2005 at the major league level and never once that I brush my teeth in between innings or chew black licorice on the mound ever again. And, and people still think I did it every single inning. That's so funny. That yeah. Got a well, it's not such a bad reputation. I know I wish that no. I would have seen you play because we love baseball. Um, Bartolo Colon is probably one of our most fun pitchers that we've ever watched because we used to just laugh at, at his antics. Whether you think it's an antic or not, I know we well, avoid seeing. Bartolo, I think, is is one of those things that people can all relate to a guy like that because he's not this six foot six chiseled specimen. He's a normal guy like everybody else. You don't think about baseball; it takes all shapes, sizes, and. You don't have to be, you know, 300 pounds like a football lineman or six foot eight like a basketball player. So everybody can relate. And I think at, at some point, every little boy has dreamt of playing Major League Baseball or had a wiffle ball when they were little playing outside. That's true. Can I ask you, we're talking about stepping out of line, how in your life you stepped out of line and does something extraordinary that hopefully worked well in your favor. Can you think of anything, any turning point in your life that stands out? The the big thing for me, when you mentioned that, I looked, I was thinking about it, but when I was in, in the, I had a really good season in, in the minor leagues in, in 1989. And I basically became a prospect with the Braves because I was originally drafted by the Atlanta Braves. And in, in 1990, I got engaged. And my fiance now ended up living with me for the summer in 1990 before we were to get married. And now I, I have, 
I don't know if you want to call it very high morals, but I was always a very strict believer in you get out of your body what you put into it. I've never, uh, I've never tried a sip of alcohol. I've never tried a drug. I've never tried a cigarette, nothing. I mean, I'm 100% all natural. I'll, I'll have some caffeine in a, in a, a soda once in a while, but I don't even drink coffee. Um, so anyway, it was a, uh, like I said before about a routine, um, her living there with me altered my routine and my focus to being a baseball player because now I was trying to juggle both lives of the life with her and then being a baseball player and my work ethic and dedication to the game and um, things just didn't they weren't going good and I had the absolute worst season of my entire life and that winter I remember it was, it was New Year's Eve and she went to the store with her sister's boyfriend and she came back and she smelled terrible. And I couldn't, I kept asking her, what is that awful smell? And she said that her sister's boyfriend was smoking pot in the pickup when they went to the store. And I said, well, that's just disgusting. I can't believe you did that. Um, why do you smell so bad? Did you do it too? And, um, she kept saying no, no, no. And finally she said yes. And I said, well, then this relationship's over. Hmm. And I ended it immediately. Um, and then I just refocused my entire life back to baseball because I had gotten off track. And that year in 1991, I went out and I had an unbelievable season. And I was the starting pitcher in the uh, first combined um double a all-star game before it used to be just the all-star game for the league you're in and that season or that summer they did a basically national league and american league all-star game where all the minor league teams sent their best players and i was actually nominated as a starting pitcher for that and which catapulted into me getting traded from the braves to the cubs for two big league players and um, it just, it, it, it was a, a very good reality check for me, as harsh as it was and as hard as it was to go through that, but it's part of life. And there's lots of uh, ups and downs and re relationships aren't easy. Did you um, end up getting married? I did, <laughs> not to her though. <laughs> um, I ended up, uh, getting engaged two more times <laughs> i i met another gal um actually that next summer and we dated for a while we got engaged and the timing just wasn't right and uh, we decided to break it off and it's probably the girl i should have married Aww. but uh she's still very near and dear to my heart and uh i used to talk to her frequently i don't i haven't talked to her in a couple of years to see how her and her family are doing she's married with three kids and i uh talk to her mom every once in a while but i ended up getting married to another woman and um things were going very well while i played but as soon as i retired uh, she filed for divorce and just basically wanted money so that was very unfortunate but 
I have two beautiful kids out of the deal. Right. And, uh, it's just one of those things in life. Sometimes you have to take the good with the bad. And, uh, you know, sometimes I look back on it and I was very fortunate to have a blessed life to be uh, a baseball player and do what I loved and dreamt of doing. And my sentence for that was dealing with a um, not so nice uh, ex-wife. <laughs> and, um, you know, but it is what it is. And I've never been happier now that I'm uh, living in Iowa and enjoying every day till it's forced. You also are still involved. Um, I read somewhere that you do the, the Mets Fantasy Camp. Yes, Fantasy Camp. So you must know um, a friend of ours, Nelson Figueroa. Who oh, yeah. He loves going there, and I don't know if you know this, but he has been doing the Miami Marathon with us for the past five years, and he was instrumental in raising over probably now $300,000 for the charity High Lifeline that we do. Every year he comes to Miami, he helps us fundraise to get there, and he comes sometimes directly from fantasy camp, a little battered and bruised. And <laughs> well, we won't be doing that anymore because they're not going to let us play in those games Right. He loves going there. Four years ago, I blew up my Achilles tendon playing in those games. So they won't let you play anymore? They just let you boss people around and, and advise people on what to do? Yeah. Well, we used to play, all the ex-players used to play a three-inning game against every team. So there was 10 teams. So we would have to play 30 straight innings. And a lot of guys, that's the only time we pick up a ball. Right. So, <laughs> let alone run around. That's what he said. He said he yeah. played one year so much, and then he ran the marathon like a few days later, and he was dying. And he looked at us. He's like, I think I'm, I'm going to have to meet you at the finish line next year. I don't think I can do this again. It yeah. was, and it was pouring rain. It was a terrible, terrible marathon, but um, a lot of fun. So I'm glad that you still keep up with your baseball friends and your buddies. And well, my... it's funny you mentioned Nelson because I took Nelson and he was a rookie when I was with the Phillies after the Mets had traded me to the Phillies. Mm -hmm. I kind of took him under my wing and showed him the ropes and, and oh. that's how we were friends. And we met him when he was at the Mets. He was the only guy we got to the field and he was before the game and he was the only guy who came over to us. And Perry actually made two bracelets. He, she, she said, can you give one to David Wright, who we adore? And you can keep the I other one. Nelson's David. like, yeah, okay, whatever. And Nelson <laughs> won the bracelet and had the best game of his life, apparently. And then, not that he's superstitious, wore the bracelet for the rest of the season because it brought him luck on that first day. And then years later, we connected, reconnected with him. He's like, yeah, I remember her. I remember Perry. And um, we've been friends with him ever since. So funny. And but, that first game. Right. And that was Perry's first baseball game, too. So, oh, no way. Awesome. So we, we try to get out to a game uh, once a year at least because it's a big deal for us to go. But I kind of like watching it on TV. I love Gary, Keith, and Ron because I don't know what's going on unless they're telling me what's going on. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you get the opportunity to watch baseball or the Mets, whether you I, watch them or not. I grew up in Massachusetts, so I'm a Red Sox fan. I'm sorry to hear that. But, uh, <laughs> well, I'm a Red Sox fan, but I'm, I'm, I'm a Met, and I'm a Mets fan. And that's – I have the MLB network and XM radio so that I can watch the Red Sox and the Met games. Right. Do you rather listen to it on the radio or would you rather watch the game? Uh, 
sometimes I guess it depends on who's talking. Right. <laughs> For sure. Um, sometimes, yeah, it's just like, I don't really care about hearing that. Right. Sometimes we can't get through game. If we, if Gary, Keith, and Ron aren't, aren't there, it's sometimes very painful to listen to a Met game. We're like, oh, we can't go through this. These three men who just laugh and they, what they bring to it really makes it a, a game for us. And uh, whether, you know, they're old fashioned or not, or like, I love what comes out of their mouth and I love the history. So yeah. how much fun for us to listen to it and watch it. That's what we love most, I think, about baseball.